61 years ago today, the modern civil rights movement was born with the Montgomery bus boycott. But civil rights progress does not move in a straight line. It's often two steps forward, one step back. Today, a virtually all-white jury did not see fit to convict the police officer who shot and killed an unarmed black man in the back, caught on video. In the Walter Scott case in South Carolina, a mistrial. But in North Dakota, a victory. This weekend, the Standing Rock Sioux won a battle for the environment when the federal government acceded to their demand to avoid running an oil pipeline through their sacred lands, which they feared would pollute their water. Thousands of people have been protesting the pipeline construction for months and months. Greenpeace and more than 160 scientists have pointed out that, hey, pipelines break with devastating consequences for our air, water, wildlife, and soil in the area. Since the spring of 2016, thousands of Native Americans and others have taken part in this massive nonviolent protest. And in the last few weeks, they've camped in the snow, resolute, God bless them. Last weekend, thousands of vets mobilized to join them in the cold winter of North Dakota. And guess what? Now, this powerful victory. This is what the resistance looks like, friends. It is vibrant and alive and all around us. Now joins us. Civil rights lawyer Lisa Bloom. Here to discuss how Lisa Bloom. Trial attorney Lisa Bloom is head of the Bloom firm. Welcome to the Bloomcast, Voice of the Resistance. Today, is there really going to be a Muslim registry? My interview with the bold, brilliant Muslim lesbian feminist Irshad Manji and my top four action tips on what you can do to stand against our unacceptable new president-elect. One, underreported, in which I bring you a big old story that's been overlooked because our media tends to get distracted by pretty shiny things, like Trump attacking Saturday Night Live or parading around his candidates for cabinet positions. Don't fall for it. This week, Trump wants a registry of American Muslims. Do not forget this. He said it during the campaign. He stirred up hate with this promise, both that he wanted increased surveillance of Muslim neighborhoods and an actual registry of Muslim Americans. I'm Jewish, friends. My people know something about registries and where they lead, and this is appalling. On November 19, 2015, in the middle of his campaign, Trump was asked by a reporter what measures he might take when it came to his stated proposal to increase surveillance of Muslims in the United States. Quote, we're going to have to do certain things that were frankly unthinkable a year ago, he said. Asked about registering Muslims in a database or noting their religion on ID bracelets or what is he going to do exactly, Trump said, we're going to have to look at a lot of things very carefully. We're going to have to look at the mosques. We're going to have to look very, very carefully. Later, he said, quote, I definitely want a database. Asked the following day again whether he supported a Muslim database, Trump was oblique. There should be a lot of systems beyond databases. I mean, we should have a lot of systems. Okay, so in typical fashion, Trump then denied that he said it. 
but he has never said that he disagreed with the idea of Muslim databases. And he has said several times that he supports the registry. And after the election, Chris Kobach, the Kansas Secretary of State and an anti-immigrant hardliner who's been advising Trump during the transition, said that Trump's policy advisors are still considering instating a Muslim registry. Friends, Trump wants to keep a list of millions of Americans based on their religion. Even now, this is real. And I'm reminding you all of this in case you start to slip into the maybe he'll be okay mode. You know that warm, squishy place we all try to go every now and then and just hope for the best? Resist the temptation. In my humble opinion, a Muslim registry is a clear violation of the First Amendment's clause, which provides for free exercise of religion. That's called the free exercise clause. And the fact that Trump supporters cite the odious Korematsu decision, which allowed Japanese internment camps back during World War II, one of the darkest days in American history when we allowed that to happen, that shows how real and sick this is. And by the way, as far as I know, Trump has never talked about Muslims as anything other than terrorists. How insulting. By the way, since 9-11, there have been significantly more terrorist attacks on Muslim soil by non-Muslim white people, doing things like bombing abortion clinics and churches. There's been a lot more of those than Muslim acts of terror on our soil since 9-11. And in Europe, according to the European Union's law enforcement agency, Europol, less than 2% of terrorism is committed by Muslims. Think about that. We see a lot of reports about Muslim terrorism in Europe, but very few about the rest. And in fact, most is done by nationalist or separatist groups, like that sick Norwegian man who slaughtered 77 young people at a youth camp a few years ago, saying that he wanted a, quote, Christian Europe. Well, in the U.S., the number is also quite low. And in fact, overall, you're more likely here to be killed by a toddler than a terrorist, something I've written about uh, extensively on my blog on avo.com. Toddlers actually kill a fair number of people in America because they get their hands on guns. So Muslim terrorism exists, of course, but it gets far more media attention than right-wing bombings and shootings, which are more frequent and kill more people, far more people. I have a number of Muslim American friends, and it just sickens me to think that they'd have to be on a Trump database to be used and abused by this hateful man and the tribe of sycophants that he's surrounded himself with who are so shameless, like Steve Bannon, a white nationalist. My friend Irshad Manji is the best-selling author of The Trouble with Islam Today and her newest book, Allah, Liberty, and Love, and she's founder of the Moral Courage Project, I'm on the board, which celebrates stories of people speaking truth to power, especially in their own group where it's the hardest to do it. Irshad's calls for reform in her own religion have led to some death threats against her, but she's also received a lot of love and she's remained resolute. We were together on election night, Irshad and I, and here's my recent phone call with her. Irshad Manji, she's the founder of the Moral Courage Project and the author of Allah, Liberty, and Love. Thank you so much for joining me today, Irshad. Lisa, I could walk on hot coals for you. (laughs) 
Well, you are such a dear. Uh, you know, you and I were together on election night, and we were expecting to celebrate the victory of not only our first woman president, but a progressive who stands for diversity and inclusiveness. And you were there with your wife. I was there with my husband and a big circle of friends. And instead, we got Donald Trump. And like many people, we were just in such a state of shock that night. And But I will never forget what you said to the group that night, which was so moving to me. And I was hoping that you might share them with my podcast listeners. Yeah, and I'm happy to share, but I also want to provoke thoughtfully. So let me let me uh, paraphrase what I said that night. Um, I understand that many people are in despair and um, steeped in anger about Trump. But if we're going to claim to be about inclusion, then let's live up to our own claim, which is to say this is an opportunity for us to engage with people who profoundly disagree with our various liberal viewpoints. And why is it important to engage? First of all, Lisa, because um, we need to know why a uh, sizable uh, swath of the United States voted as it did. And to write them all off as racists or homophobes or bigots not only will not change anything for the future, it'll in fact only make people uh, more defensive. Do we really want that? Moreover, uh, I think that um, we have to have integrity in the resistance that we show to uh, bad decisions made by Trump. And when I say integrity, I mean that, um, you know, I've learned over the years that when people do not feel like they belong, uh, that is when their suspicions of the other only rise. So if we're not taking this time to, um, to learn something about people who are not part of our worldview, um, then we're missing a massive opportunity. And let me say one final thing while I have it on the brain. I learned earlier this week that 60% of Trump voters do not know a single Hillary voter. Wow. 40% of Hillary voters do not know a single uh, thing about uh, Trump voters or a single Trump voter. Wow. Really, when we, you know, when we say we know who these people are, no, no. We know of them. We do not know them. You know, it reminds me very much of one of my favorite quotes from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which is, you have little morally persuasive power with those who sense your underlying contempt. And I think there has been too much contempt and disrespect in the last year of this election. And I want to be clear, most of that was led by Donald Trump. And so I don't think the answer is simply, well, you know, we all have to join hands and sing kumbaya. Uh, some of his behavior is worthy of our disrespect. It's worthy of us calling out. But his followers and those who voted for him, that's a different story. And what, what I hear you saying is uh, we need to be better listeners to those who we disagree with. Better listeners and more curious, asking questions and not merely making statements. Um, there was a wonderful piece uh, in the Sunday New York Times, November 27th, for anybody who wants to look it up, entitled, Why I Left White Nationalism. And the author of this piece uh, pointed out that the only reason he began to rethink his white supremacy is that people who wanted him to change his mind 
um, uh, included him in their conversations mm -hmm. rather than ostracizing him. And then he went on to say that uh, people often ask me, you know, how do I get somebody to stop voting for people like Trump? And he said uh, in this op-ed, there is no magic technique beyond being an honest listener and engaging in honest conversation. You know, so it reminds just, me very much of the book Nonviolent Communication, which I'm has cool. changed my life. And it's a way of really talking to people in a way that you can be heard, that you can hear them. It yeah. involves active listening and repeating back in a respectful way what you hear. You don't have to agree with them, exactly. but people need to feel heard. And here's the other key point to make about feeling heard. It's only when, you know, people appreciate how they are being heard that they will give you space in turn to be heard. So again, you're absolutely right, uh, Lisa. Uh, you don't have to agree with what you hear. But if you're going to have a hope of influencing the so-called other, you're going to have to step up, be the first. Give them the space to express themselves fully, and that means asking them questions in order to uh, win the reciprocity to be asked your questions. And I've actually taught classes for lawyers on nonviolent communication, by the way, and written about it and did a uh, workshop at Burning Man. But that's another story because I want to move on to another topic now. And I want to ask you about the Muslim American community. Uh, and you are such a, an insightful and brilliant author and speaker within that community. What has the community been experiencing since the election that the rest of us should really become aware of? Well, um, first of all, as we all know, the community is not monolithic, and so different people have been experiencing different things. Um, that said, ever since 9-11, and not just since the Trump election, uh, many people have, you know, been in fear. Many Muslims have been in fear of what is, quote, about to happen. I must tell you, Lisa, that um, while I sympathize and to a certain degree empathize with my fellow Muslims, I do wonder uh, how much uh, being on edge um, is going to help matters. What I mean is, um, you know, you can be alert and we all must be alert and we all must stand by those people who face legitimate acts of discrimination. But, but do not, you know, let's not walk around with our own walls around us and expect the worst out of anybody who we fear, uh, you know, will be discriminating. Let them ask their questions. Um, engage, as you say, non-violently and non-defensively. And I have found that whenever I've done that, whether as a Muslim or just as a human being, that uh, the person, you know, whom I've given that respect to, in turn, is more than happy to offer their respect. Well, that's so, just, I, mean, I love that. We have yeah. seen a surge in hate crimes, though, and including among Muslim Americans. And for those of us who want to do something concrete to help because this podcast, Voice of the Resistance, is all about what actions people can take because action is the antidote to despair. I talked on the last podcast about a non-Muslim woman who said she called her local Islamic cultural center and offered to go shopping with Muslim women or walk around town. And if anybody feels unsafe, she wants them to feel safe. Do you have any suggestions for what the rest of us can do uh, so that our Muslim friends and neighbors feel comfortable in their own country, America? Yes. 
let them know first and foremost that you will stand by them and that you are here anytime they need somebody to be a support. Secondly, if and when you do see a you know act of discrimination against a Muslim, um, uh, violent or not, don't be a bystander. Don't worry about who might you know be offended by the fact that you are stepping in. Step in, but again, this is key. Do it non-defensively. Support the person whom you're trying to protect. Uh, start up a different kind of conversation with them than what they're, you know, hearing from from the uh, uh, from the prejudiced person, and then follow through on that act of support by asking after you have put, you know, the the the, the target at ease. Ask the person who is spewing that prejudice why. Why? What are they achieving by this? What are they afraid of? And get into that conversation with them non-defensively. Not only will you learn something, but now you have an opportunity to influence somebody's heart and somebody's mind. And that is so much more powerful than simply yelling an epithet at them. And I would add to that, educate yourself. You know, unfortunately in the media... The primary thing we see about Muslims is terrorism. And as you say, it's an enormous, diverse community of over 1 billion people worldwide. There is so much more than that. So read books, educate yourself. And I have learned so much from your books, Irshad. And I encourage everyone to read your books and become educated and enlightened about what life is like for Muslim Americans today. Your most recent book, Allah, Liberty, and Love. And if people want to connect with you or reach out to you, how can they do that? Thanks for the opportunity, Lisa. Uh, come to moralcourage.com, um, and you can reach me via the contact uh, tab at the top of the website. And just briefly, what is the Moral Courage Project? So it's a multimedia project that teaches people how to do the right thing in the face of their fears. And that doesn't just mean stepping in when, you know, there is uh, an act of discrimination going on, but also means, um, you know, letting go of your own ego, or at least just enough to hear somebody else. Again, not just somebody with whom you sympathize, but actually, and more challengingly, somebody whom you fear will be egregious. Listen, learn, as you rightly point out, and grow. We have a lot to educate ourselves about as, as liberals, um, and we should be doing that and not just expecting others to be uh, taught by us. Well, thank you for being a wonderful leader, for speaking truth to power and educating us. Uh, give Laura a kiss from me. My dear friend, Irshad Manji, thank you so much for joining me today. Bless you, Lisa. And now it's time to put on your big girl or big boy pantsuits. And yes, I say that in honor of Hillary Clinton because she should be honored. Stand up straight because here's my favorite part of every podcast, what you can do right now in the resistance because action is the antidote to anguish. Here are this week's dispatches from the resistance. Resistors, my top four picks for the week. Number four, get friendly with people who work for you. I'm talking about senators and congresspeople. Make it a habit to email or call them on the regular. They work for us, folks. Here's a call I got on the podcast voicemail. Hi, I love the Bloomcast and 
my question is, is there a website or where we can find the information on what upcoming bills there are so that we can do mass calling of our congressmen, congresswomen? Thank you. What bills are currently before Congress? GovTrack.us lists them all. They say phone calls are better, by the way, so Senate.gov and House.gov has the phone numbers of all of our senators and congresspeople. Just search by your state and their contact info pops right up. Very easy and helpful. Write an email to your congressperson. It is so easy. I like letter to Congress. That's letter, the number two, Congress dot rallycongress.com. I just tried it out. It worked beautifully. You put in your zip code or address and a handy dandy little form pops up. Then share on social media what you've done and why, who you wrote to, why, what you were doing. Encourage others to do the same thing. If you need a little prodding on what to contact your congressperson about this week, well, I love Maryland Democrat Elijah Cummings. He is leading the charge to investigate the conflicts of interest surrounding Trump's businesses. Call and demand that your representatives support Elijah Cummings. Support the conflicts of interest investigation. Snarky side note. Ivanka Trump announced that she's moving to Washington, I guess so that she can be very, very close to dad while she runs his businesses totally separate from him, right? Hmm. All right, number three on actions that you can take this week, boycott Trump products. I don't know about you, but I would sooner spend the night in frozen Central Park than sleep in a Trump hotel. Someone brought me out for a New York uh, media event a few months ago, and that's what I told them. Do not put me up in a Trump hotel. There are lots of other nice hotels, and I stayed at a different one. I would not even set foot in one for a meeting or a restaurant or anything else. I had a pair of Ivanka Trump shoes in my closet. And about a year ago, I just decided it was bad karma. I didn't like them. I didn't like looking at that name in my closet. So I donated them to a charity. I avoid Trump brands now like they are soaked in smallpox because Trump is toxic to our country. And there's an app for that, by the way. It's called Boycott Trump. And my interview with its founder is on our next Bloomcast. But for now, while holiday shopping, if it says Trump, keep walking, keep clicking. Number two, go to the National Action Network's March on Washington. So in prior podcasts, I've told you about demonstrations in Washington on Inauguration Day, January 20th, 2017, and the Women's March on Washington that I am going to on January 21st, 2017. But here's a new one. On January 14th, 2017, which kicks off the holiday that commemorates the birthday of one of my all-time favorite Americans, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Reverend Al Sharpton says there is no better time for us to stand up for Dr. King's dream. And so his organization, the National Action Network, is going to have a march and a rally called We Shall Not Be Moved. When it comes to voting rights, health care, income inequality, racial disparities in employment and access to capital and criminal justice, they are invoking Dr. Martin Luther King uh, they say the march is to protect the gains that they have won so far in the civil rights struggle of the last half century and to keep us moving forward. Bravo! And Dr. King would be very proud. He went to so many demonstrations in his day, and he would want us out in the street. 
And number one, my top tip for you in the resistance this week, oppose fake news by supporting real news. So you've been hearing about fake news a lot lately, right? It's on the rise, and much of it is promulgated by right-wing loonies. Millions of people have read about a crazy, false conspiracy theory called Pizzagate, and God knows how many of them actually believe it, but apparently enough, because one guy took matters into his own hands this week and showed up with guns to the pizza place that the conspiracy theorists say is at the center of this terrible web. Thank God nobody was injured at Comet Ping Pong, the Washington restaurant, uh, last Sunday afternoon, but it was an armed confrontation that shows the real-life consequences of online lies. Pizzagate, if you're not familiar with it, and I hope you're not, frankly, uh, it had Hillary Clinton and her top aide, John Podesta, in a child sex ring, and it was just ridiculous, totally false. But the fact that someone showed up with a gun as a result should be absolutely chilling to all of us. Thank God this time no one was hurt, except perhaps Hillary Clinton's reputation in the election. So I never want to just talk about problems. I always want to point us to solutions. Uh, Listen, I gripe about the mainstream media as much as anyone else, but it is composed of thousands of media outlets, ranging from dazzling to abysmal. Let's support the good ones, friends, because they are struggling. The press that fact-checks, that calls Trump a liar when he is one, which is often, which is every day, unflinchingly. If you haven't subscribed to at least one of these, now is the time. My political media hall of fame, and I'm a pretty big media consumer, I love the New York Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times has really improved lately, Mother Jones, The Nation, Think Progress, a fabulous site, The Daily Beast, The Huffington Post, and National Public Radio. You gotta love them, and I love their podcast too. If you have others you'd like me to mention next week or anything else you'd like to ask me or tips or information, the podcast number, here it is, 818-835-0382. That's 818-835-0382. Call and leave me a message. Maybe you'll be featured on the next podcast. You can also leave a message on our new Bloomcast Facebook page. That's at Facebook, the Bloomcast. This is Lisa Bloom, voice of the resistance. Please subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends, and follow me on Twitter or Facebook. This podcast is brought to you by The Bloom Firm, where together with my team of eight other lawyers, we fight for justice for our clients every day, whether in a business dispute, family law case, or discrimination and harassment case. Every one of my lawyers, like me, has a passion for justice. The bar requires me to say that this is an attorney solicitation, and yes, we would love for you to contact us at thebloomfirm.com. Friends, in coming weeks, I will take your questions. Call me at 818-835-0382 and leave me a short message with your question, and it might get answered next week. That's all for now. This is Lisa Bloom for The Resistance.